Take your Bibles and open with me to the book of Romans, chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, as we continue our study in the book of Romans, we're talking about offenses today. And we're bringing this chapter to a conclusion. We've been talking and studying, thinking, praying before the Lord about what this issue of Christian liberty looks like, how we are to walk in liberty. In the book of Galatians, we are told there it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. But do not be entangled again in a yoke of bondage. He also goes on in the book of Galatians. He says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for your flesh, but rather through love serve one another. And so we're talking about liberty. You know, we come to a weekend like Memorial Day. Won't be very long. We'll have July 4th as well. We sang about America today. Tremendous land of liberty that we have been blessed to grow up in, to live in. I'm so thankful for America. So thankful for the freedom we enjoy, the blessings of freedom that have been granted to us. I've told you before, my mother was born in England. She was not an American citizen. She was born in England. She was born during the Second World War. And so my mother's earliest recollections of her life are being taken with her mother and and other siblings and going down into the bomb shelters during the Battle of Britain and the bombs falling, coming out and seeing a neighbor's house destroyed. And her dad, who had been an RAF flyer from 1918, he enlisted at the age of 17 in 1918, the end of First World War, began flying biplanes, ended his career in the RAF by doing the Berlin airlift. But all those years flying, God protecting him, even though he never knew the Lord. But my mom then met my dad, who was in the military. My dad was stationed in England in the Air Force during the Vietnam era and met my mom. They were married. And, of course, we ended up in the United States of America. And I still remember as a little child going with my mom after she had taken all the classes to become a citizen. And becoming a citizen of the United States of America. This freedom, we take it so for granted. We talk about Christian liberty. Today we talk about offenses. I want you to notice before we read the text that we delve into today, I want you to notice what he says in chapter 14 in verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. But decide 
but make a decision. Decide this. Never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our freedom. We thank you for our freedom in Christ. Lord Jesus, we come to you. We worship you today. We thank you that no one took your life from you. You laid it down. You laid it down not for anything evil that you had done, but you laid it down for my sin the sin of each person in this room and the sin of the whole world. You became a servant. You tell us in your word. Even to the point of death. So that we could be free from sin, from death, from hell. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We worship you today. Lord Jesus, as we think about freedom, help us, your people, to make a decision to decide to never put a stumbling block or an offense in front of our brother. Lord, help us to take careful inventory of our lives. To think about what we do and how we live. And when your Holy Spirit places his finger on an issue in our life and he says, that is a potential stumbling block to some person. I pray, Father, Holy Spirit, Son of God, that we would be wise and discerning enough to obey you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read the text. Beginning in verse 20, he says, Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. We talked about that earlier in the chapter. We're talking about food. Indeed, everything is clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that would cause your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. 
Therefore, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Easier to read than do. The end of this, I want to just take a minute and, and, and look at the end of chapter 14. It's not going to serve as the focus of the message today, but I want to explain it, what he's saying here. In verse 22, he says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But the one who has doubts is condemned if he eats. Now, he's not talking there about like doubts that you struggle with in your Christian life as you, as, as you, you deal with maybe the turmoils of your prayer life and, and, and you, you're laying a need before the Lord and you're struggling with doubts. God, are you going to do this? Are you going to answer this prayer? He's not talking about that kind of doubt. What he's talking about is a doubt in your conscience on whether or not you should participate in a certain kind of activity. So when he says you have faith, he's talking about a solid conviction that a certain thing is okay. You know, there's things that you do that they just don't ever bother your conscience. It's just where you live, it's what you do, and this is what your parents did or whatever the case, and you just accept it as being okay. You're not struggling in your conscience. It's just something you do. And then there may be some other thing that maybe when you were a child you were taught you shouldn't do it. Wasn't it in like Roman Catholicism used to be? I don't know that they do this with venial and mortal sins and some of those things. And, and on Friday you could, only, you could only eat fish and you couldn't eat beef. And I remember reading a book by, um, I can't remember, his last name is Manning. It was called The Ragamuffin Gospel. Brennan. And he was talking about how he would go to a ball game on a Friday night in New York City. Oh, and he wanted to have a hot dog. But boy, it bothered his conscience. Why? Because he'd been taught this. He was raised in Catholicism, and on Friday, you didn't eat a hot dog, you didn't eat beef, you had fish. And now he's at a ball game, and he wants to have a hot dog, and so he's trying to decide, well, if I just do it anyway, is it a venial sin or is it a mortal sin, and all those different, we won't get into all that today, but nevertheless, that's an issue. He was in his conscience, he was taught it was wrong to eat a hot dog on a Friday. And so, what he's getting at is, if you are in a place of doubt, struggling with whether a certain thing is right or wrong, he is saying whether or not it is permissible in the eyes of God is kind of irrelevant at that moment. Because if in your mind it is wrong, then it is sin. That's what he's saying there. So what you need to do is study the word of God and decide whether or not it is right or wrong to eat a hot dog on Friday. And if God says it's okay 
then you need to build your faith, your conviction on the Word of God, not just what you were taught. And then the Word of God will set your conscience free and you can enjoy the hot dog and praise God and not doubt. So what he's getting at here is this. Don't just sear your conscience. That's never the way to handle it. If you're struggling with an issue and you're like, God, I really believe this is okay, but all my life I was taught this, then go to this. And when you go to this, you will either say, what I was taught was right. I'm going to keep doing that. Well, you're going to go to this and you're going to say, what I was taught was well-meaning and well-intentioned, but it wasn't really biblical. And now I am going to build my faith on the Word of God and I'm going to enjoy this thing and thank God. That's what he's getting at here. That's the way you resolve that. So when you have a conscience issue, when you have this struggle going on in your conscience on some issue, don't just say, oh, everybody else is doing it, I'm going to do it too. That's not the answer. The answer is, go to the Word of God, get the mind of God, and then build your life and your decisions on this, not just what you're thinking. Does that make sense? That's what he's getting at there. That is what God wants you to do. That's what we want you to do. I don't want to bind your conscience. I don't want to stand up here and say, this is good and that's bad, unless God says this is good and that's bad. But if God is quiet on it, I don't want to stand up here and get into the fine points of every decision that you need to make in life. You need to do that before the Lord and through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God and then make those decisions. And then you say, I really think that this thing is okay. But, if I do this thing, it has this potential. It may make a weaker brother stumble. Now, there's a different, there's a different dilemma, isn't it? And what does he say to do in that case? Have your conviction. Enjoy your freedom between you and God, and in your own life. But be willing to lay aside your freedom to guard the faith of someone else. Now, this leads us to the start of the paragraph. Notice this immediate contrast. At the beginning of the paragraph, in verse 20, he says, do not, for the sake of a hot dog, destroy the work of God. What's the work of God? A person. The faith of a person. God is working. In Philippians 1 verse 6, he says, being confident of this very thing, 
that the one who began a good work in you will carry it to completion till the day of Jesus Christ. God is doing a work. What is his work? It's not just creating stuff and mountains and hummingbirds. All that stuff is great. But what is God doing today? He is at work. And you know what he's doing? He is at work in you. He's at work in me. And he says, for a hot dog, don't destroy what God is doing. So there's an immediate contrast. Here's the contrast. In verse 19, he says this. Let us pursue what makes for peace and edification with a building up. In other words, what he's saying there is, in verse 19, what we are to pursue, and we studied this last week, is the building up of the faith of others. And then in verse 20, he says, don't tear it down. Wouldn't it be horrible to stand before God and have God say, we talked about the judgment seat of Christ last week, and have God say to you or to me, everything I was trying to do in another person's life, you were working against me. You were tearing it down. I'm trying to build them up. I'm trying to grow them. I'm trying to make them more like me, and you are tearing it down. Would it not be a terrible thing to have God say to you, why were you doing that? You were working counter to my goal. He says, do not, for the sake of food, tear down what God is doing. What God wants us to do is to be building each other up. So there is an immediate contrast. Now, you will notice here in these verses, he says, everything is indeed clean. Right? All food has been cleansed. I'm talking about that in Sunday school. We support a missionary, Dr. David Sadaka, with Chosen People's Ministries. They minister to Jews, and he is a Jew, full-blooded Jew. First time he came and spoke to the church, um, we had breakfast together, and Amy was going to fix bacon and eggs. And I remember saying to him, is bacon okay with you? And he was like, bring it on, brother. You know, he was good with it. He's a liberated Jew. He's liberated in Christ. He understands that everything is clean. So everything is clean. But then he says, it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. That's why he said earlier in the verse that we looked at, we need to decide something, not to make someone else stumble. It is wrong. In other words, there can be something that's perfectly legitimate. But if my doing it caused somebody to sin, it was wrong. It wasn't neutral. It was wrong. It became wrong in that way. And so he says, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything 
that causes your brother to stumble. What does it mean to stumble? The meat of his argument, no pun intended there. He says everything is clean, but, you'll notice the word but we talked about, and then he says it is good not to do it. It's good not to eat if it causes your brother to stumble. That leads us to this question, what does it mean to offend someone? That, that's the word that in many translations is used. Here in my ESV it says stumble, cause to sin. What does it mean to offend someone? Now, let's just answer this first of all, what it does not mean. Because I think it's important we understand this. God says we should not offend other people. He's not here talking about someone coming to me and saying, you just hurt my feelings. No, I don't want to hurt your feelings. As Christians, we shouldn't try to hurt each other's feelings, and we should never go about wanting to hurt each other's feelings. But that's not what he's talking about here. We live in a culture where, you know, anything you do, somebody can come to you and say, oh, you offended me. That's not what he's getting at here. He's not talking about a culture of offense where people are just routinely offended at some little thing. No, he's not talking about you hurt my feelings. He's not even talking about you just offended my sensibilities. What he's talking about here is this. There are two Greek words that he uses. The one, this one means to put an obstacle in the path of another person. It's an obstacle. Thus it is something over which someone trips. They're walking on the trail, and I just put something in front of them in the trail that becomes an obstacle, and they trip over it. This word is an interesting word, scandalon. You can even hear the word in the English language, a scandal, to scandalize. But what it really means, this is an interesting one, it is a trigger. You know, we live in a society that has triggers all the time now, right? That's not, what, what this trigger is, and I almost brought one this morning and I didn't, is I'm going to offend some of your sensibilities right now. But I have foot traps. I used to trap. I don't do it so much anymore. But I have foot traps. I also have conibear traps. On a foot trap, when you set a trap, those of you who are trapped, there is a plate that is locked to hold the trap open. That plate that the animal steps on to trigger the trap is the Greek word, the scandalon. The trigger of a trap is called the scandalon in the Greek thought. The trigger of a trap. So maybe the way to understand this word is the word a temptation. A temptation. 
So he uses these two words to explain to us what he's getting at when he's talking about offenses. I should never put in front of my brother an obstacle to their faith. And I should never do something that could be a trigger or a temptation that leads them into sin. So he's not just saying here, we shouldn't hurt each other's feelings. What he's saying is, my actions should never lead to a situation in another person's life where they are tempted to sin. Now, because everybody's lived experience is a little bit different, different things tempt you than tempt me. I talked about my dad, my mom. My mom's parents owned an English pub. My dad was in the Air Force. He'd left the Mennonite faith and joined the Air Force. And when he went into the Air Force before he became a Christian, he became an alcoholic. Drank heavily. Him and my mom. They were saved through the ministry of a chaplain in the Air Force. When he got saved, for him, alcohol was a done thing. It was just done. I grew up in a house then where there was never alcohol. Although in his life, before he was saved, it was huge. And it was a huge sin. It would be very easy for my dad at a certain time in his life to be tempted to go back into sin if he was somewhere and there was alcohol flowing. Because I've never struggled with it. I just never have. Now, I've struggled with a lot of other things. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm saying I never struggled with getting drunk. I just never have. Boom. Not been an issue. I can go to a branding and be around a bunch of guys branding, and then we take a break, and out comes a cooler, and there's beer flowing. And I am in no way tempted to get drunk. I just ain't. It does not affect me. I'm not saying that I'm good because of that. I'm just saying it don't affect me, right? You understand that? It just don't affect me. But for Tim Moyer, Tim Moyer has made a conscious decision. Although it doesn't affect me, I don't drink with the guys. And you know why I don't drink with the guys? Because I don't want anybody there to say, I am a drunk because I saw Pastor Tim drink a course. So it's just a decision I made. Doesn't mean I don't have freedom. I, I would. But I don't. Now that's just one issue. What does it mean to cause someone to stumble or offend? Here's an important story to think about. In Matthew 16... Peter is commended by the Lord when he says, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then Jesus tells all of his apostles, he says this, I'm going to go to Jerusalem sometime 
and they're going to kill me, and they're going to bury me, and I'm going to rise again. He breaks them into what's going to happen. What did Peter say? Good for you. Do you remember the story? What did Peter say? Being far from you, they'll never do that to you. And what did Jesus say? Ah, get a grip, Peter. What did he say? Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me because you savor the things of men, not of God. Jesus understood that Peter is speaking a message to him, words. I'm not saying Peter was demonically inspired, that he was demonically possessed, but it's a message from Satan meant to do what to Jesus? Turn him from his mission. His mission is to die. Peter's words are an offense to Jesus. Now, we just talked about beer. But let's talk about our words for a minute. How many times do we cause somebody to offend? Not because of something we did, but because of something we just said that did not come from God. It comes from the kingdom of darkness. He is saying here, we must be very careful not only in what we do to not cause an offense. We must be very careful in what we say. A young person comes to you and says, I got this plan. I want to do this for God. And you dump cold water on their face. That's an offense. And so he says, make a decision. Now, let's go on. Who are we to be especially careful not to cause to stumble? Who are we to be especially careful not to cause to stumble? Now, we would say anyone, right? I don't want anyone to sin. I don't want anyone to stumble. I don't want anyone to look at me at what I do or what I say, what I approve of, and fall into sin because of something I do. I don't want anybody to, but he says I have a special obligation to the weak. To the weak. Now, what is the weak person? Who is the weak person? Remember, we talked about this several weeks ago. The weak person is someone who is unaware of what God has revealed on a certain subject. So God says it's okay in the new covenant to enjoy shrimp and lobster. But in the old covenant, it was not okay. But in the New Covenant, it's okay. The weak person is this person who is unaware of what God has said. They have not studied the Word. They have not built their faith, like we saw at the end of the chapter. They have not built their faith on what God has said. So we have an obligation to that person in a special way. Now, we have a twofold obligation to them. This is important. If you are weak in the faith, my obligation to you is not to coddle you. That is not my obligation. 
to put the pacifier back in and just pat you on the back and burp you and say it's okay to be a baby in Christ. My obligation is not to coddle you. My obligation is to bear with it and to do this, to teach you. To teach you. And we must teach each other. The word of God so that the weak person does not what? Stay in the crib from here to heaven. It's not the church's obligation to just coddle that person in their weakness. The church's obligation is actually to confront their weakness and to teach them, but to do so, as he says in 2 Timothy, the servant of the Lord must not quarrel. He must be patient with everybody, willing to teach. That is our obligation. To not coddle, but to teach, to bring each other along so that we no longer are weak, but so that we become strong. Not strong in just denying and searing our conscience, but strong in understanding this word. That is our responsibility. Now, that's who the weak are. Now, I want you to consider with me. It could be a new believer. It could be an older believer who has been mistaught on a subject. Whatever the case is, our responsibility is to teach as we bear with one another. There again, think of our Savior. Think of his example. Took things on, didn't he? He took on cultural issues. And he did so in a way that he taught people. He taught them. And that is what we are to do as Christians. Now, I want us to consider for a minute a special class of weak. And this one's kind of a hard one this week with what happened in Texas. The vulnerable and the young. The child. The child in your home, your grandkids who look at you To emulate you? I want you to notice what Jesus says in Matthew 18. Remember the word destroy? Talked about destroying the faith. Don't do that. The work of God. Whoever causes the downfall of one of these little ones. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Notice this. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come. We live in a sinful world. But woe 
to that man by whom it comes. Notice the word woe. He uses it twice. Woe to the world because of offenses. Woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Woe to the world because of... Notice the word woe. That is an interesting word. It's an interjection. It's very strong. In the book of Revelation and in other places in Scripture, that word doesn't just mean like, oh, bad day. Bad day for the fact that offenses come. What a sad thing. That's not what it, you know what it means? In the book of Revelation, it means this. Judgment. 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 Jesus says this. Judgment to the world because of offenses. He goes on and he says this. If your hand or your fought, foot fought, hand or your foot causes your downfall, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to enter into life maimed or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes your downfall, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be thrown into hell. This word, downfall, is the word scandalon. Now, let's go back to this. And I'll close with this. Judgment comes because of offenses. He says here, whoever causes the scandal on of a little child who believes in me, woe to the world because of offenses. I want us to think, you know, I was listening to a Christian radio station this week, and I, I enjoy listening to a Christian radio station, and I felt really sorry for the DJ that is talking after this shooting in Texas. And she was talking, and she was going on, and I know she was just using words, but she was like, oh, people just ask, why do these things happen? Why do these things happen? Why do these things happen? You know why these things happen? First of all, we often talk about evil that happens and we put it in a passive verb, like it just happened. It didn't just happen. You know why it happened? Because an evil man took a gun and took the lives of little kids. An evil man. It was evil. It didn't happen to that man. He was evil. Now listen, before I was saved, there was a time in my life when I was on the side of evil, and I was evil. God redeemed me. Evil is still in me, but I'm born again. That young man, there was a time in his life when he was innocent. It was like the kids running around this place. 
and his culture and his society conspired with the sinfulness of his own flesh and that young man became evil personified. And he walked into a room and he took the lives of little kids. And here's the point. He says judgment to the world because of offenses. That young man killing those kids is part of the woe that we are facing as a culture. You know why we're facing it? Because as a culture, we have taken little kids and the big people, the adults, have put in front of them evil and called it good. And they said of good, it is evil. And you know what happened to those kids? They became evil. And you know what's coming? Woe. We cannot, as a country, cause the little ones in our midst to repeatedly offend and offend and offend and not pay. And that's what's happened. year ago, an attorney from Nebraska who's involved in some battles in the school system in Nebraska sent to me an attachment he wanted me to look at. It was, a, what do you call it, scanned copy of a book that was being used in elementary schools in Nebraska to teach kids about human sexuality. And he wanted me to read it and look at it. I got to page two. And my soul was so scandalized by what I was seeing that I had to, I could not go any further. And I'm 56. You're going to put that in front of a kid and then say, we won't pay? We're paying. Woe to the world because of offenses. If America does not get this right, woe is us. Closing admonition. We then who are strong have an obligation. I have an obligation. I owe something. It's to each one of these kids in this room to teach you what God says, to show you what's right, to live a life in front of them that says, if you follow me, just like Paul said, follow me, for I follow Christ. Can you say to somebody else who is young in the faith, just do what I do. Just live the way I live. And you'll be walking like Christ. God wants me to live that way. And he tells me in this chapter, decide. If you don't decide, the world will decide for you. 
because you'll just by default go the other way. Let's close in word of prayer. Lord, oh, we are burdened today as we look at our country and we look at the carnage. I cannot imagine. I, I love being a grandpa. I love my grandsons. I love my kids too, Lord. I thank you for my grandkids. I cannot imagine somebody called me and said, your grandson's not coming home because somebody, some evil man just shot him. I don't know how I'd handle that. I pray for those people. Lord, our heart breaks for them. Oh, Lord, may our heart break enough that we make a decision to live for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song together? You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. You are God alone. From before time began, you are on your throne, and you are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne, and you are God alone. You're the only God whose power none can contend. You're the only God whose name and praise will never end. You're the only God who's worthy of everything we can give. You are God. That's just the way it is. You are God alone from before time began. You are on your throne and you are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne, and you are God alone. Unchangeable, unshakable, unstoppable, that's what you are. Unchangeable, unshakable, unstoppable, that's what you are. You are God alone. 
from before time began. You are on your throne, and you are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne, and you are God alone. Unchangeable, unshakable, unstoppable, that's what you are. Unchangeable, unshakable, unstoppable, that's what you are. You are God alone. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are on your throne. In the midst of the suffering and difficult times, Lord, you are God. Nothing takes you by surprise. Lord, you are fully in control of all things at all times. And so, Lord, we give you praise. We give you praise because you alone are worthy to receive our praise. And yet, Lord, we know we live in a land that is full of evil. Sin is all around us. Sin is within us. And yet, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would use us. Despite our sin, Lord, may we continue to be conformed to your image that we would walk in a manner that is worthy of be called your child. To carry your name, to be a Christian. Lord, we pray that we would stand on the word of God. Lord, that we would become like you. That others may see, that others may be changed, that they may know of the goodness of who you are and walk in the goodness. Lord, we ask you to use us as we leave this place and go out into the mission field that you have called us to live in. Lord, we pray, Lord, that we bring glory to you. We thank you. We thank you that you would use a sinner like us to bring glory to yourself. Do that now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.